Welcome to the PEBC podcast. My name is Michelle Jones, and I am the host of our series on phenomenal teaching. This series is a collection of conversations with authors, classroom teachers, education leaders, and staff developers whose work connects with the PEBC teaching framework. In each episode, we explore how the strands of planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment cultivate student agency, equity, and understanding across the curriculum and grade levels. We are proud to announce that Chalkbeat is our first sponsor. Chalkbeat is a nonprofit news organization committed to covering one of America's most important stories, the effort to improve schools for all students. Stay up to date on all of the current events in education at www.chalkbeat.org. Thank you so much for listening in. Jennifer Engbretson is a PEBC lab host in Denver, Colorado. The strands of the PEBC teaching framework come alive in her classroom. Each and every day, she crafts math workshops that privilege student thinking and understanding, while also considering the importance of assessment and feedback. Today, Jennifer is joining us to unpack the assessment strand of the PEBC teaching framework. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's so nice to see you. Nice to see you. So let's just jump right in and talk a little bit about, you know, your role as a teacher and as an instructional leader and what teaching looks like and sounds like for you right now. I teach ninth and 10th grade math at North High School in Denver, and um, I'm also a part-time data specialist for our school. And right now we're in full remote learning where we see our students on every other day and we have 80 minute class periods where 60 minutes are synchronous live lessons with our students and then 20 minutes are um, asynchronous where our students are able to kind of get that independent practice and then on Fridays we get to see our students for just a little bit of time and they see all of their classes. Wow. So you're completely remote, but you have that schedule dialed in. So it sounds like students are actually able to see you and interact with you three times a week. Yep. Correct. Wow. And so in addition to teaching, you're also a data specialist. Tell us a little bit, what does that look like and sound like in, in your context? So I disaggregate and run reports for everyone in our building, from our administrators down to our teachers to really help them find data that's going to help them make instructional decisions for their students in a really effective way. I support teachers in building their own reports and and things so that they can um, be really intentional about the instruction. And then at the administrative level, anything that we can do whole school to identify our students who are doing really well, our students who maybe need a little bit of additional support. I run all kinds of reports for everyone at school. Wow, that's incredible. So I know from being in your classroom that you are really masterful at planning for student thinking and student agency, but you also use, you know, formative assessment or data or information all the time. And it really drives your instruction and your planning with your kiddos. So when we think about, you know, you're always kind of balancing those those two components, if you will, the instruction and then also the learning from your kids. So what are some of your core beliefs that have shaped the way in which you teach and approach learning? I 
I really believe that my role in the classroom is as the facilitator. And I don't ever want to be the only expert in the room. So I really want to empower my students to be doing the heavy lifting and supporting each other. And um, I'm there really to facilitate their learning and to guide them if they have questions and to just listen to the brilliance um, that is going on inside of my classroom. Um, I also really believe that my role is to teach students to think, um, not really to teach them about angles. And I use my content to, to teach my students how to think um, so that they can, they can apply those skills anywhere to any content um, and when they leave our, our school in four years. Wow. So when you really think about your, you know, your classroom or you think about that like instructional fingerprint that you have, when students think about you in five years or 10 years from now, you want them to remember that opportunity to think. Yeah. And to explore. Yeah. Yep. So how has the trans that transition been from your brick and mortar classroom in you know, an urban school with a lot of activity. Every time I come to North High School, there's so much going on. The kids are so vibrant. Uh, there's discourse. There's so many cultures represented. And there's incredible learning that occurs there. And now that you've gone to 100% remote, I'm wondering, what are some of the successes that you've experienced? And what are some of the challenges that you're wrestling with? I think... I have been able to really build on a lot of the work that I have been doing for years in terms of my planning and how I share with students what how they're doing in our class and with families. Um, and that intentionality in every move that I make inside of my classroom, I think I've been able to really transfer a lot of those things into this remote environment in different and exciting new ways. Um, and I think some of the challenges are just kind of that feeling of isolation, both for myself as a, as a human inside of my house by myself, trying to teach to a screen where we don't have cameras on for all students. And then the feeling of isolation for my students where they, um, are also trying to go into groups where they maybe don't have anybody else turning on their cameras and how we really work to make students feel seen um, and valued in this remote environment where we can't be in the same room as them. Hmm. So in terms of those successes and that kind of reflecting on what's going well, you've established some rituals and routines over the years that you've been able to adapt to a remote setting. But one of the challenges is building relationships. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when you think about, you know, kind of overcoming some of those challenges, what are some steps that you've taken to build relationships with your students and for your students to build relationships with one another? We have really been working on getting to know each other as humans. Um, we use Zoom for our um, virtual classroom and we're able to go into breakout rooms where we can we can pause and take a moment to let students answer funny this or that questions. Um, do they like dogs or cats better? Do they like Netflix or YouTube better? To get to know each other in that space 
Um, and I really worked on making my students feel seen by me, even when I can't see them. So utilizing that private chat with them and just every single day acknowledging the work that they're doing. And then I see the work that they're doing, giving them that feedback on their thinking. Um, and just, just those small moments and opportunities to like acknowledge my kids individually. We also, um, I put students in breakout rooms individually for their asynchronous work where I can then go in and have a private conversation with students, just that student and I and say, well, how was your weekend? How are you feeling about this? Let me see your cats, those kinds of things. Wow. So you really are leveraging technology in ways that maybe you didn't even envision before this time. Absolutely. I would have never known that we could do all these things. (laughs) Well, I am absolutely fascinated with the idea of a breakout room for each and every individual student. So they have, in a way, their own private office, and you then can come in and confer about their mathematical thinking, but you can also take that time to get to know them one-on-one. Yeah, absolutely. And Zoom has this really cool feature where you can ask, there's an ask for help button. And so when students are either working in groups in breakout rooms or in their individual rooms, they can click that ask for help button. And I get an alert on my screen that says um, room three needs you. And so I'm able to pop in and support students in the same way as if they were raising their hand in the classroom. Wow. So you really have taken your belief as your role as a facilitator and really just open that up into this space to say that even though we're not in the same room together, we're going to actually have some really close proximity with one another in a digital way. Yeah, we're trying it. Wow. It's incredible. So I know that you really have you know, that belief that students need to be doing the heavy lifting and that as you know, a teacher of mathematics, you want students to understand the mathematics, but you also really, really want them to develop the critical thinking skills that they're going to need for that moment and then forever, ever, and ever. I know that a, another important aspect of your instruction is being able to see your students and to see the expressions on their faces and to look over their shoulders. And so I'm envisioning you popping into these you know, group chats or these individual spaces and being able to do part of that. But I'm wondering if it's if there's some barriers into not being in the classroom with your learners. And what do you do when you like literally can't see their paper? I think that's been one of the biggest challenges is how do I see their thinking when I can't see their thinking? And there's been a lot of things that I have been trying um, around like collaborative documents. So how can I create Google Slides where my students are working to generate a, a poster, if you will, on one Google slide as a group, and I'm able to kind of see where their thinking is and intentionally target the groups that are having a hard time getting started or are struggling a little bit with the concept through that, like Google slide where I have eight slides for my eight groups. I'm able to really see the thinking that the groups have been doing and intentionally target the students who are struggling a little bit. I also think there's some beautiful technology like Pear Deck and Desmos that allow me to kind of see that thinking in real time. 
um, and show show the class in an anonymous way some of the brilliant thinking. And then on a different screen than I have, I can see whose thinking that is so that I can then empower those students that have had that really brilliant thinking to unmute and share that thinking with the class. Because I don't always want to be the person who's giving the answer or who's sharing the thinking. And so the more that I can use tools that help me see who's been doing the beautiful thinking and then empower those students to share that thinking with the class, the more I can create a community where I'm not the only person that has the answers in the room. Wow. So you really are able to look over your students' shoulders, see what they're doing, see the type of of work that they're producing. And then I'm inferring that you're making some inferences and kind of putting that data together and then making some very timely decisions about next steps for your instruction. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So take us to Command Central because I have heard you mention Google and Google Slides and shared documents. I've heard you mention Zoom in terms of individual rooms and breakout rooms. You just mentioned Pear Deck and Desmos. So right off the bat, me and every other listener is thinking, wow, Jennifer knows a lot about technology and she's got this figured out. So I'm wondering if you want to kind of take us through kind of your, your physical setup of how are you kind of navigating all of this and then through your planning, because I think one thing that, you know, we're reading a lot about and we see everywhere is that there's a million and 10 apps and they're all great, but how do you choose? How can you intentionally decide which tools are going to meet your needs as a teacher or meet your students' needs? So first of all, like, tell us, how are you, what does this look like for you? And then let's dive into some of these tools and how you've chosen to use them. So I am so fortunate to have an entire room that I've turned into my virtual classroom. And I essentially have four different screens that I'm working on. So I have a really big computer screen that I've split into, and then a computer, and then a TV that I was able to hook up to my computer as a another monitor. And so I actually, the first couple of days of school, I had to write myself a post-it note to say, open these things on this computer and open these things on this computer because my computer where I hold my Zoom, I want to make sure that I have all of the student-facing materials. I have my slideshow that I'm going to use. I have any applications that I'm going to use with the students um, so that I can share my screen with them. But then on my other computers, I have to have the teacher facing materials. So in Pear Deck, there's a student dashboard that has the question and then you can show anonymous student results. And then you have the student, the teacher dashboard that shows you who had those. So I've got to have that teacher dashboard open so I can see who's doing that thinking. And then Infinite Campus to take attendance and my email to answer the emails for students that have messaged me that they're unable to log into the Zoom call and things like that. So I really think about one of my devices has to be that space that I'm going to actually run my class with. And then the other devices help me get all the information from my kids. Wow. And then you have another device that's just kind of the record keeping, kind of keeping the world spinning kind of stuff. Yeah. I've got my email on that third device so I can see if kids emailed me and, and triage, right? I don't need to answer some of them right away, but the student that's saying, I can't log into the Zoom call. What are we doing today? 
You got to be able to send them the information as soon as possible. And then I have a data tracker that I can see some of the student results, like their exit tickets in real time. So when students have completed their exit ticket, I'm able to send them a private chat and say, you did a wonderful job today. I'm so proud of you. Go ahead and log off. Um, I'll see you on the next class, things like that. So I've got quite a setup in here. Okay. So that's interesting though, because when you think about a physical space in a traditional, you know, I don't want to say traditional, but a brick and mortar classroom, teachers have a setup. I mean, everyone has a setup that works for them, unless maybe they're on a cart and traveling, which, you know, we always do to those first year teachers, poor things. But, you know, when you have your space, you have your document camera set up the way you want it. You have your screen, you have a meeting space, you have your clipboard that you use for anecdotal notes. So you've kind of taken that whole classroom, like three-dimensional classroom and put it in a digital realm. Yep. Incredible. So... Mm -hmm. As you were building this, I love how you said in the beginning, you had to kind of mark like what was happening on each device. And so take us back to those first, that week or two of school. How did you kind of get into your groove and how did you familiarize your students with the technology or did they take right to it? What did that look like and sound like? For me, I am a firm believer in practice. I when we were in person, would stand up at my board and teach to an empty room to make sure that I knew what I was going to say and how I was going to say it. And um, on the Sunday before school started, I set up every device and I literally spoke out loud to myself to practice. I think one thing I forgot to mention is that I always have the student view of Zoom open up on one of my other devices too, so that I can always see what it looks like for the students. Because sometimes Zoom, especially the web browser version, is a little glitchy. So I need to make sure that I can see what my students are seeing. So I had my student-facing Zoom on one screen and then my whole teacher platform on the other screen. And I clicked through it and I practiced what I was going to say. I also really use the notes in those in the Google slide presentation to have all of the links that I maybe need to share in the chat um, or any kind of timing notes that I might have on a formal lesson plan if I was in school. But I I can't have that in every other device. So having those notes um, just right on that presentation view of Google Slides really helped me just kind of know what's coming up next and the timing and things like that. So I practiced out loud to myself, clicking through the slides. And then I found myself making adjustments um, over and over and over. I was thinking about lessons um, more than I've ever thought about them before. Just being like, okay, that was a little bit kind of tricky. That slide doesn't quite make sense. How can I go in and, and clarify that? We revised our slides a ton from like the first day of school to the second day of school, just getting smarter about um, kind of how we communicate in the most effective way to students. And so in terms of helping students with the technology, I think you know, our students are on technology all the time. So they're really good at kind of navigating them. We're really fortunate too in my school that we were one-to-one -one before the pandemic. So our 10 through 12th graders had Chromebooks that they used in class every day before we went remote. 
and many of our feeder middle schools were also one-to-one. So tons of our kids have had these Chromebooks. They kind of know how to navigate them. Um, But on our first day, we did a bunch of different community building activities while utilizing different um, technology features. So we sent them into a bunch of different breakout rooms so they could navigate sharing their screen and asking for help and um, doing those kinds of things so that students could kind of get a little bit familiar with it. And I do lots of kind of visuals on my slides for students. So I'll show them a picture of what their their screen should look like being a split screen. You should have Zoom on one side and Schoology on the other side. And um, so I have a lot of visuals for students so they have a really clear sense of where they should be and what they should be like opening and having on their screen and things like that. Wow. So that intentionality in terms of just like we would in a classroom, rituals and routines, systems and structures for success. You spent time in the very beginning of the year ensuring that your students could navigate the technology, even though they had a pretty good understanding, they had a lot of schema, but really being able to build some community while learning the tools. Mm-hmm. But now you're a couple of weeks in. I know that you also have like a, you know, laser sharp vision on student achievement and that you want your students to learn and master the skills and the content that they need to. And a huge component for you in that work is assessment. And so when we think about the PBC teaching framework and we think about the component of assessment, there's lots of different aspects of that. So there's, you know, students being able to self-monitor and it's supporting students with that self-monitoring. It's actually you know, another component that we talk about is assessment design and which assessments are we designing and implementing and why. Um, The importance of data collection, what kind of data are we collecting? What is that telling us? What are we doing with that data? Which of course then is data use. And then lastly is feedback. How are we as teachers not only crafting and creating assessments that are meaningful, taking the data in and understanding it and using it, but then also providing feedback for students. If you think about that assessment cycle, if you will, what are some of the tools or strategies that you found either in your school-based classroom or your digital classroom that have been surprisingly helpful that you might want to share with others? So one thing that my team and I got really smart about last year was using Google Forms for our exit tickets. Um, And we were able to transfer that to this remote world and build on that. And I think the, the Google Form and what we can do with that information has made all the difference in our ability to really target students who are struggling. So every single day, consistency is key, right? So every single day, students have a Google form exit ticket where they have um, some opportunity to individually show us what they have learned. We really set it up like this is not for a grade because this is not, I do not expect you to have mastered 100% of things after just seeing it for the first time today. But what this tells me is what do you know and what are you still struggling with so that I know how to support you? So based on the information we get from the Google Forms, um, we're able to 
modify our do nows to spiral in content that our class collectively has struggled with. On Fridays, one thing that we're doing is um, kind of dividing our students up based on the previous week's exit tickets and the concepts that our students need support with still. So Edpuzzle is something that we did this last week. And Edpuzzle is um, a platform where you can record a video and insert questions into different points in the video and students answer them. So what we did was we looked at our students' exit ticket results and we had two concepts. And students, um, if they hadn't mastered one or both of those concepts, they were assigned to an Edpuzzle where they got an opportunity to have a reteach and a retry um, learning some of those concepts. Um, and then we were able to assess how they did at the end of that Edpuzzle. So we were able to take that information that we got from an exit ticket that um, they did in the last five minutes of class and really target our students who still needs a little bit more work on special angles, who still needs a little bit more work on writing these expressions. And um, then our students are able to also go in and, and type in their student ID and see their results on their exit tickets. Um, we send individual emails that have their results on their exit tickets and instructional videos and another try to do the exit ticket if um, we did that last year. And so we'll build on that again if we're unable to do the ed puzzles for every opportunity. So really thinking about for every individual student, what is it that they need and how can I support them through an instructional video or um, a small group reteach or something like that? Um, and we're able to do that really systematically with the power of like a Google form and a mail merge. So uh, yeah, I'm really thinking a little bit about efficiency because as a high school teacher, you have a lot of contacts. And for maybe our elementary friends who are listening, they have a less a number of contacts, but they have more content areas. So it ends up being about 150, either way you slice it, right? In terms of how many students we are really like supporting in different contexts. So the Google form allows you to get instant, instant feedback from your students. You're able to organize that quickly. And then you use mail merge mm -hmm. to send kids their results or to send them supplemental materials. Yeah, both. And to communicate with families. So it's the extension that I use, and there's several, is called Form Mule. Um, it's an add-on in Google Sheets. And you're able to just really quickly send emails to 150 students. As part of my data role, I often send emails to the 1,500 students at North. Um, and it takes a, a little bit of time to build that email and to record the video and kind of link it in the email. But once you invest that initial 15, 20 minutes in building your email, one click of a button and you've sent feedback to 150 students. Wow, that's incredible. All right, so I'm trying to keep track because you've helped us think about so many different things. And I know there's a couple more that you probably want to share with everyone. So Google Forms, mm -hmm. great for exit tickets and organizing data and providing either extensions or extra support. Using Mail merge, mm -hmm. particularly, what did you call Mule form? Form mule. Form mule to send those out efficiently. You've talked a little bit about your physical setup. Um, we talked about shared documents through Google, which what's interesting and what I'm noticing in this is that a lot of these tools we would probably use in our school-based classrooms as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what are a couple other tools that you found that have been particularly helpful in either assessing how students are progressing or in terms of supporting their deeper understanding? So I think Pear Deck has been really beautiful in being able to see students thinking, not just their answers. So another one that I love is Desmos. Um, And Desmos is specifically a math platform. And so there are opportunities to kind of type out your um, your thinking and it has amazing features. Um, And I use Desmos more for the kind of content-based pieces of it. Um, And Pear Deck, I love for really getting students thinking visible um, because it's got that open response or you can drag things. If you have the premium version, you can kind of have a, an icon on the screen and they can drag it, you know, on a scale of how they're feeling or if they're ready to move on, they can drag it to yes or no. So there's a lot of kind of different features that Desmos doesn't have. So um, I think those are my two biggest. And then Edpuzzle is amazing for being able to kind of um, get students that intervention is is what we really used Edpuzzle for because it breaks it down a little bit more and kind of chunks it out a little bit more. It's a little bit more guided for our students who um, maybe didn't understand all of the investigation the first time or things like that. Wow. So we have Edpuzzle, Desmos, Pear Deck, a lot of things to investigate and to explore. If I'm a teacher who maybe feels a little... um, less tech savvy. Like I don't have a ton of efficacy with so many tools and I might be listening to this and thinking, I'm not sure how I would manage four devices or even how I would hook all of that up. What's, you know, where's one place to start or what's one recommendation you have for someone who might feel, you know, even a little bit overwhelmed right now by the technology load? I I would say narrow in on one and I love technology. And I was there in the spring. We used Desmos every day. That was where I could be. That was how I could um, do my best instruction in terms of getting student students to be able to do investigations and show me their thinking. That was kind of where I was living. And then, you know, I was able to kind of branch out and a little bit more after getting a little bit more comfortable um, in in this new fall semester. But I think like pick one that's really going to help you understand what your students are thinking, help make that thinking visible that's really invisible to us. And so um, Pear Deck does have a free version. If you're not... Um, able to have the paid version through your school or your district. And it still has really powerful tools that you can then be able to see exactly what your students are thinking and um, make real-time instructional decisions based off it, just like if you were in the classroom with students. So, um, you know, start small, start with one thing um, and then build on it. Jennifer, you are so inspiring. I know that we are wrapping up our conversation and you've given us so much to think about regardless of content area or grade level. I mean, really thinking about, you know, how do we make thinking visible and particularly how do we make thinking visible in a digital space or digital classroom? I would love for you to have the last word today. What are you hoping for in the weeks to come? I am hoping for help 
and safety for everyone. And that the students in my classroom and my school and, and across our state and our country feel connected and feel seen even when the safest place for them to be is behind a computer screen that may or may not have a camera on. Um, and I, I just, you know, hope that everyone is able to get back to a space where we can see our students again um, when it's safe. Jennifer, thank you so much. I know that your students must feel very seen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope our time together provided inspiration and information. I would like to thank our sponsor, Chalkbeat. In addition to reporting on current events in education, Chalkbeat has a jobs board. So if you're looking for your next career opportunity, check it out. You'll find teaching, leadership, tech, and nonprofit education jobs. Or if you're looking to recruit for open positions, consider posting on the Chalkbeat Jobs Board. You'll be connecting with people who are up to date on the latest education news and trends. Posting start at just $149 per month. In closing, PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado and works both locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding as described in Phenomenal Teaching by Wendy Ward-Hoffer. We now provide customized virtual and on-site professional development, coaching, institutes, and courses. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org. <laughs>